With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Travis and Vic's Drunken Horror Adventures. Uh, This is Travis, and um, I'm pretty sure we're going to have a pretty entertaining episode. Uh, Tonight, we're talking about the Gainesville Ripper. Um, Both the movie... Uh, made by Josh Townsend, who will be coming on to talk to me here in about five minutes or so, I believe. Uh, and, of course, the real-life horror of Danny Rowling, uh, the Gainesville Ripper. Now, again, the show is kind of true crime in nature. Um, it's our main event of August, and it's kind of the wrap-up to our Scream uh, movie series because, as most people know uh, that are into the Scream series, uh, those movies were heavily, heavily influenced by uh, the crimes of the Gainesville Ripper uh, in the early 90s uh, in, in Florida, obviously, Gainesville. So let's get into things. All right, so getting right into it, uh, we're talking about Danny Harold Rowling, who was born May 26, 1954 in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, he He actually... He had a pretty difficult upbringing. I mean, you would feel for the guy had he not committed such heinous crimes. I mean, um, there's a lot of parallels to be made with Bundy and a lot of other serial killers. Um, but, you know, his crimes have, have um, some similarities to them. But his upbringing, I mean, this is one of those situations where it's like, well, of course he ended up this way. You know, his dad, James... Uh, he was an abusive asshole. There's really no other way to put it. I mean, he pretty much told Danny Rowling that he was unwanted from birth. Um, his dad, James, was actually a, a Shreveport uh, police officer who abused him, his mother, Claudia, and later his brother, Kevin. Uh, and in fact, in one incident, Danny's mother went to the hospital after claiming uh, James actually tried to make her cut herself with a uh, razor blade. Uh, there were some other incidents where you know, she actually left because he got pissed off that she was trying to put up a Christmas tree. Because there's no better way to ruin Christmas than put up a Christmas tree, right? That's just drunk behavior. <laughs> so, anyway, James Rowling, obviously, he had a lot of issues. And uh, he took him out on Danny. I mean, even as a toddler, Danny would do this scoot across the floor when he was trying to learn how to crawl and then, you know, later walk. Well, his dad would actually, like, push him around um, and just treat him like a dog. But speaking of dogs, I mean, Danny's only friend as a kid that, you know, that we're really aware of because Danny was obviously having a tough time with his father was his dog. And uh, no, this is not another son of Sam. We talked about that last month. But um, his dad actually heavily abused this dog. I mean, beat this dog every chance he could get. And uh, from all reports, what happened was uh, James Rowling actually killed the dog. Um, and the dog died in Danny's arms, which I gotta assume would fuck somebody up pretty bad. Um, and that seems to be the case in this situation. Danny, you know, he was close with the dog, and to sit there and watch his dad, um, somebody that you're supposed to love and feel strongly about, beat 
your beat your you know man's best friend to the point of death, um, I think that would fuck somebody up in the head right from the start. And that's basically what happened here. So uh, there were other situations like Claudia. I mean, she, his mom, she made repeated attempts to leave her husband, but she always returned. It's the typical battered wife syndrome. You know, they, they believe that they can't leave. And if they do, they're not going to be able to survive on their own, that they need their husband, or they're just scared of them. And, you know, it's a little bit of column A, column B here, I'd say, from everything I've heard, read, and everything else. Um, and, uh, you know, one uh, one example of James Rowling's quote-unquote discipline was uh, he pinned Danny to the ground, handcuffed him, and then had police take his son away because he was embarrassed by him. I mean, it's like, dude, what is wrong with you? Well, Vic's on the line, and also, at the same time, Josh Townsend is on the line. That's who I want to talk to, so he'll be on now. What's up, Josh? How you doing, buddy? Hey, good. How are you, buddy? I'm doing fine, man. i tell you what. Uh, so I've been doing all my Gainesville Ripper research just to kind of match it up with the movie, and I have to tell you, you know, you made the claim once upon a time that the movie was going to be the most... Um, uh, accurate as far as serial killer films, I I don't think you're too far from the truth there. Uh, have you seen the movie? I have. Oh, where did you see the movie at? Well, it actually circulated. Um, a friend had Cody once upon, and it was on Cody once upon a time. Now, I, I don't oh. have a copy of it. I wish I did. Uh, so it, it's very yeah. tough. But I have watched some of the behind the scenes uh trailers recently too and uh some of the uh, rehearsals for for you know for the role of Danny Rowling so it's it's been enjoyable to get back into it again oh wow that's that's cool it's been i mean it's been so long since i made it that you know i haven't don't have really thought about it that much except for when i do these well every now and again you know i get a podcast kind of true crime thing and um but they haven't they haven't been talking about the, like the filmmaking aspect they want to talk about like the actual true crime stuff or whatever, and I kind of want to talk about making movies and everything. So uh, once I, I, I kind of, I kind of didn't really even check out your website until like 20 minutes ago, and I kind of realized, oh, this sounds cool, fucking drunken horror movie talking, cool. Um, well, yeah, that's but, uh, what we're known for. I, I will, I will admit, once upon a time we did a show on Manson, and I got so drunk that I about passed out on the air. So hopefully, hopefully, I can remain sober enough to stay on the air tonight. <laughs> so, so you seen Jim Van Bever's Manson movie? I have, I have. I, I've tried to watch everything that I, I can get a hold of just to see what they're like. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was. I was for the. I actually got to like kind of knock something off the. I've all, Jim Van Bever's like since I was a kid was like really, really influential. Like Manson's family was like really influential for making this movie. This was like the first Gaines Ripper's first movie ever made. And I kind of didn't know what I was doing or anything, but, um, actually last year I got to play a role in American Guinea pig with Steve Byro's movie where he's, uh, redoing the Guinea pig movies from the Jap, you know, the Japanese kind of fake stuff movies. And he's made an American ones. And we did a possession one last summer that's just now coming out. And Jim was in it. So I got to meet Jim. I mean, I'd, I'd met Jim before, but, and we actually kind of hung out like a year or two before, because he doesn't live too far from me. He's only like an hour or two south of me. So I kind of met him for the first time and he was kind of thinking I was going to be some fanboy guy, you know, but I'd already kind of been making movies and he, you know, we kind of became friends and everything. And I knew Steve Byro making American Guinea Pig. And so last year, like we actually got on set and like we were doing a take and I'm 
have to look Jim in the eye and say a line. I just like, it's like meeting your hero or something and working with him. I just fucking melted, dude. And Jim, Jim has this fucking crazy story of me blowing like first three takes on that just because it was like, oh, fuck, this is really happening. Mm-hmm. I, I hear you, man. I, and, you know, the interesting thing to me and, and to get into the actual movie part of it is, well, okay, so I'm not going to get into the actual uh, background of the, the crime so much as I'm just interested in the fact that you were in Gainesville in high school, correct? I mean, you went to yeah. school there. Yeah, I was, went to, I was going to Gainesville High at the time. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a really interesting story. I kind of it's a neat story. I, I I was about to start tenth grade, and back then I just started getting into like horror movies and stuff. I was younger. I think I saw that movie Summer School. Mark Harmon, um, and I wanted to be like the two kids doing the effects, so I started learning how to do effects, bought the Tom Savini books, and I was like, that was before like I decided I wanted to direct, I thought I was going to do effects, so, you know, my parents, my friends are all like, I'm all about gore, and they're all like, you know, making serial killer jokes and shit, so we were, um, we were actually in the Keys, like, on, like kind of on vacation, but the weekend before, um, the, we were supposed to start school again, and it hit the news down there, I think, Saturday, you know, they found two bodies in Gainesville, and so they started making, my family starts making jokes and everything, and I'm like, ah, oh, see, it could have been me. I'm down here at the Keys, you know, we're nine hours away, and my mom kind of did the math, and she's like, well, you could have drove up there and came back or whatever, and it's like, ha, 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 you know, and, and then that was Saturday, I think, and so school starts on Monday. On Monday, they find one, I think they find the one body, the first person he killed, um, the lady who worked for the cops that was doing the call center. And then they kind of, and they realized it was the same. They didn't tell anybody really why, but, you know, they realized it was the same person just because of the way he mutilated and opposed them and everything like that. And then, so everybody started to kind of freak out. And then I think it was Wednesday, they found two more bodies. And one of them was a dude. I think that's the way it was, or it may have been the two girls. But anyway, um, so by Wednesday, it was like freak out. And it's a tiny little town. And, I mean, it's really, like, you know, it's just really so small that we'd hear rumors all the time, like, cut, cut the head off and put it on a bookshelf so when they opened the door, they'd see it, you know, and didn't find out till like, a couple years later that all those, like, rumors were real just because, I guess, you know, the cops would tell their wives and they would get around like that just because it was, like, so school was so small. But, yeah, the whole, it panicked the whole town. It was why it was such a cool, unique situation. I was in, like I said, just starting 10th grade, so I think... I just had some friends that were barely able to drive, and we were little kids, and we were dumb, and, you know, so we weren't scared at all, but we just kind of were just going around that first week of school, and the whole town's freaking out, and it's just different, everything's so weird, and it just, it changed the whole town, it was, it was quite an experience, like, people selling pepper spray at the motel rooms, and the gun stores selling out, and it was just, it was, it was just different, it was a unique situation, you know. So that, that always stuck with me. And so when I eventually decided I was actually going to do feature, I decided that'd be my first feature. So I'll make games, whatever, basically. Yeah, I mean, it was something that was custom made for a movie. You know what I mean? And, and I'm not going to say that you avoided that. You took advantage of that in a good way. You know what I mean? You were smart to do that. I wouldn't blame anybody for doing that. But it, it, it's great that you kind of jumped on board. And, and I know that, you know, nobody was really – too supportive down there of it other than just curiosity maybe uh, i mean i they i got it it you know i i really tried to be 
nice about it, not exploitive and realistic and and really tell the truth, you know, and not like really go stylistic horror like Dario Argento or, you know, or John Carpenter or Slasher movie, you know, like really, or if I did do something like that, there was a reason behind the psychological thing, like it's a movie in his head or something. But, you know, before anybody saw the movie, like everybody down there, nobody in you know, all the cops, everybody, they just hated it. Newspapers started slamming it. It really, like, I tried to do just kind of like a little local premiere thing and then just going to try to sell it and everything. And I had one or two papers or news stations that were kind of cool and fair, and the other ones were just, like, horrible, like Gainesville Sun, the biggest newspaper. I talked to that guy for, like, three hours one night because he didn't want to publish an article. But I think his, like, editor was making him have to do articles, so he's, like, kind of torn, and it's like, I'm not really even trying, I'm kind of trying to talk him into it, because I'd like people to come, but, you know, it's not like I'm making money off it, I'm just trying to show my movie that I've been working on forever, and it was a fucking crazy situation, and then this newspaper guy's like, you know, I just don't like the idea of people profiting off murder and everything, it's like, well, then don't cash the check that you're going to make from writing the article about my movie because you're doing the same fucking thing, buddy. Can I cuss? I'm sorry, fuck. Yeah, cuss all you want. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> way we can get by here. Well, you know, it, it, all right, so check this out. Before okay. we did this this episode, we did Scream 1, Scream 2 and 3, Scream 4. And like I was commenting out how on the Scream sequels that it was weird Scream that two. they were like... Yeah, Scream 2 is a lot it. like it. Yeah, and they were like exploiting... You know, okay, in the movie, they're real-life deaths, and it's just weird to me. You kind of went through, like, the real thing, and you weren't even, like, being um, exploitive of it so much as you just were trying to tell a story. Like, that's why I watched that movie, and I'm like, that would never fly in real life. You know, I wasn't even, like, really trying to make money or anything or anything like that. Like, it was just kind of a story I wanted to tell, and I wanted to figure out how to be a filmmaker and stuff, and I wasn't trying to get, you know, make a lot of So that was really what doubly got me but it really like i did not expect the negative backlash i got from florida like it really like i had these people like i grew up you know and it's like this is the police uh spokesman for gainesville police department her name's sadie darnell you know so i'd see her on the news all the time because she talks about news you know and then you have her like personally slamming you and saying some crazy shit about your movie that she's never seen and it's like oh my god you know, and I, you know, I, I've always loved exploit movies. I like pushing the boundaries. I like the gore movies. I mean, when I was a kid, especially, I liked the gore movies and stuff. You know, I mean, things have kind of changed since me wanting to just make blood effects and gore effects. Like, actually, like try to do actual filmmaking stuff now. You know, but like I wasn't like I, I could have been so much worse, and I wasn't. So it really just just I, I kind of just didn't even try to really sell it for a while like i just kind of just tried to move on my life like it really kind of got me it's fucking we like artistically got me it's like they're not even giving me a chance artistically they're like killing me before they even give the art you know the art a chance and i don't know it's just a little frustrating i had to kind of think about what i want to do and then couldn't find a, a fucking producer or anybody that wanted to help me sell the movie and it wasn't that big a deal because i owned the whole thing and it only cost probably about 20 grand. Like, I ended up actually, low true story, I cut my fucking fingers off working at a wood shop doing cabinets and stuff. I cut my fingers off. They sold them back on and everything. But I got, like, a worker's comp, so I'm at about 15, 20 grand. And that's what I used to fund the movie. 
So, like, wow. uh, you know, yeah, that's, so I own the movie, so it's not that it'd be nice to sell it, you know, but it, I just, that's not what I like doing. That really soured me on making movies for a few years with the business aspect of it all. Like, it just really soured me on the whole thing. I'm not good at it. I don't really want to be involved with it. And it was really fucking frustrating to people I would talk to that seemed like they were interested. All they want to do was print t-shirts and posters and tell people they were involved with the movie and all this stuff. And so I just, I was just kind of let it sit and just moved on as a filmmaker anyway, but I don't know. Well, I mean, okay. So you talked, you talked about how you like making blood and guts and things like that, but I mean, okay. So look, I have family in Florida, so I drive through Florida like quite a bit. And every time I drive through there, all I see is Jesus signs and God signs and abortion signs. And so I just think to myself, I mean, were you surprised that everybody was trying to put the kibosh on it? It is the Bible Belt. Well, I without giving the movie a chance, you know, like if it would have been yeah. a Scream 2 or something like that, then I would mm-hmm. expect it for sure. You know, or me trying to be really exploitive, which I wasn't like at all. And, you know, I was, I made, I'm like, I, I thought about it ahead of time. Like, I'm not going to give these girls the real names and I'm not even going to give them the real personalities. You know, this is about the serial killer. This isn't about, but I, it, I guess it affected the whole town so much that they took the whole story personally and the whole event personally. So personal, you know, that they couldn't get past that, you know, and it's weird. I think, you know, like you see something like, like the Oklahoma bombing Patriots Day, you know, like was that too soon? They did that. You know, how did they approach that? And, you know, there's certain parts and like the, the Aline Warnos movie with, um, with, uh, what's her name? Who did an amazing job in it, um, from Fury Road. The uh, blonde chick. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The atomic blonde. Yeah. Yeah. But um, like uh, she was, she was amazing. It, but that they made a really, yeah, she's older too. Uh, South African, yeah. Charlize Theron, yeah, yeah, there you um, go. She's uh, you know, and that movie made her really sympathetic. I remember I was like at the beginning, it was like the at, towards the end of the movie, every John she picked up became more violent, almost like she had to kill them. You know, like it was giving her sympathy. And I thought that was like way fucking way more offensive than me just telling a true story. You know how was but i you know it's such i i don't know like i went to the uh there's another people thing about making the movie uh the opening sequence of the movie is actually from danny's execution like i, I went to stark rayford and we filmed the execution like where the or at least the people outside the execution and everything like that and that was that was like a whole different world unexpected you know they the police ended up it's like there's there's a county road and the building when they kill the people across the street and you know, it happens a lot because that's every place in Florida when they execute somebody, they do it Stark and Rayford and they had the protesters and the, like the pro death people on one side and the anti death people on the other side. And there's like 20 movie fans everywhere, all these movie people and shit. And they have lines that you're supposed to be behind, but if you have a camera, you can get in front of the line, get shots. And it was fucking, it was nuts. Dude, there are people that were, I guess, live in stark little tiny little town. That's, the prison town basically because you know a bunch of correctional institutes there and they you talk to these people and they'd be like yep if the hearse comes out and it goes towards jacksonville to the north then nobody's claiming the body if it goes south towards gainesville then somebody's claiming the body like it's like that's what these people do is go watch these executions and shit it's fucking weird (laughs) 
Oh, okay, so let's, let's, let me think about it like this. All right, so this wasn't too long after, uh, you know, all his crimes took place. Let's say if you did a movie on Aaron Hernandez down there, do you think you'd still get the same reaction, or is it one of those things where, I mean, race plays a factor in all those things, and maybe people would let it slide? You know what I'm getting at there. You know I, what I mean? I, I, you know, maybe, I don't know. You know, well, Aaron Hernandez is a totally different thing because he's fucking football mm-hmm. and all famous and shit like that. And he's really hated, too. So maybe would people would like to see a movie just to let themselves hate on him. But, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I didn't, I also, I'm not, I was a little budget. And when we did it, that's right, when all the digital filmmaking came out, you know, we just, we were shot in HD. We were one of the first you know, actually prosumer cameras to be able to shoot in HD that you could get. And everything was moving over to digital at the time too. So you couldn't just go to a festival and sell stuff. And, you know, it wasn't like it used to be. So we were in a weird time about like the actual sales of the movie, but that was never like my priority about it, but it seems like that's what everybody wanted to make it out about. If you take it, if you take, take it to that issue, then it's like, well, you can't make a movie about Nazis because, if you make a profit making a movie showing how Nazis were bad, then, you know, you're, you know, it's a, it's a ridiculous argument. And I, and I probably should have taken it from a bigger perspective other than just a little local perspective. But I mean, it really, it really kind of fucked me up for a couple of years. It really did. I, I can understand that too. Okay. So I, I guess I'm trying to figure out at the end of the day, whether it's the time that's passed or whether it's just the community, you know, and their refusal to accept something like that. And that's, that's, that's the thing I guess we don't have an answer to, you know? Well, the movie was a good 10 years or uh, yeah, around, you know, it's a good 10 years after the event. But it also another weird thing was like, we were, we, I played, paid the local theater 400 bucks to let me have a screening there. And that was going to be our, our little unofficial world premiere thing. And so I was trying to promote that and everything. And, um, and I was, so I was, we were out in Gainesville the night before I moved to Jacksonville, um, probably about six years before I was in Gainesville my whole life before that, but it was too much a party time or whatever. And I really wanted to make movies and there was everybody so transient, nobody wanted to commit to things. So I moved to Jacksonville and I'm, I'm still living in Jacksonville and we're, we have like a awesome filmmaking community here. It's just, it's just amazing. Like I'm on set, all the time dude it's fucking cool but anyway so i'm trying to get people in the theater there and so i'm going around passing flyers out in gainesville on university and you know the main strips where everybody goes out and none of these college kids have even heard of danny rollins there's maybe like i talked to 100 people maybe two people had even heard of danny rollins like they just had no idea about the history of it all like the actual college kids like they just didn't even know the story it was weird that was like a huge deal for us, you know, like and when it was going on and when he went to trial, it was live video whenever the trial was going on. That was all that was on the local channel. And they had this thing where they uh, released crime photos and for they had Supreme Court challenges. People didn't want to see them, whatever. And so they made it so they had an exhibit. They had a building where you could go in. And for two days, only two days, you could go in and show your ID and you could just go. Anybody could go and they go look at the crime scene photos. And then after two days, they get sealed. So, like, even the press can't look at it. It was some kind of weird thing. Like, they, like they, I don't, I don't think the press can even, like, still look at the crime scene photos. It was kind of like a deal they made. We're going to have it public for two days or whatever And this. So, I remember when that was going on. And at the time, I didn't, you know, I didn't really care to go see it. or anything. I wasn't thinking about making a movie or anything. But I had a girlfriend who, um, 
who actually did go, and she told me all about it and told me about pictures and stuff like that. Our girl I started seeing a- afterwards or whatever, but, like, it was, you know, it was just a huge deal in that town. And I think maybe, like, trying to premiere it in town and making a local event was just, that was maybe in bad taste, you know. Like, I think I knew I was doing it in bad taste a little bit, but I thought people would kind of understand the historical importance and art and, you know, at least give it a chance or whatever, and that didn't happen. So, Yeah. So, so the screening that you're trying to get was at Gator Cinemas, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yep. Well, we did. Yeah, we, we ended up playing it there. It was only about half full, maybe, or something, too. So well, we're almost here. at the anniversary of it, too. The anniversary of it playing there. That's crazy. Is it really? It's it been like 10 August, years already? August 29th. Yeah, August 29th is when it was. So I oh, mean, oh, and you know how else I screwed up, too, though, and I didn't realize it was my screening was the fucking murder anniversary, like the 10-year murder anniversary. I thought, like, I was a year off or something, like it was 11 uh-huh. years. Like, I was just so busy having to do everything myself. And it was almost like two weeks before that it hit me or some somebody interview or someone mentioned it, you know, that, like, basically the, the weekend we screened the movie was the weekend they found the first bodies 10 years ago. So it was fucking 10 years earlier. So that that didn't look good, you know, but that wasn't intentional. It's kind of cool, like, in a past tense, thinking about it. It's like, <laughs> that's kind of creepy, weird. But, you know, I can't wait. It's been 10 years since then. Shit, dude. I like to think I've become, like, a lot better filmmaker since then. Kind of figured And the whole, just the whole, everything's kind of changed. Like, that, that, that movie stopped me wanting to do movies to make money, you know. So now since after that, I'd make movies just to tell my story and to show people that, you know, like those kind of movies. I'm not worried about making a living doing that at all. Like it just, uh, that movie soured me on the idea of making a living directing movies. And, but since I figured that out three or four years ago and I just stopped worrying about the profit motivation, doing movies and just work, you know, and just pay for myself and pay for my need. And I think it's been so much nicer. It's so much more artistically like freeing and stuff. And, I don't know. It's just been damn ten years. I feel like I'm at a confessional kind of. <laughs> well, well, so, hey, talk a little bit about writing and directing a movie for the first time, and and just how much of a bitch it was to kind of like. I mean, you were pretty much towing the line on everything. Yeah, that's see, Rob Rodriguez, man. I think Rob Rodriguez fucked up movies like a good generation of fucking filmmakers. Like I got the Rob Rodriguez wrote his book. Uh, Rebel without a, a filmmaker. I don't remember the name of the fuck it was, but it's about him making El Mariachi, and then how he that gets sold, and then he you know goes to gets gets the, talks to all the studios, and finally does El you know El Mariachi or El, what was the one with Antonio Bandera Desperado, and um, so you read that, and the whole thing he's preaching to you, he's just like all you need is a camera and a light and after to do it, you know, and all you got to do is get an exposure on your camera and you just shoot a movie and anybody can make a movie. And I, that, that fucked up so many people. Like that made so many shitty movies are because of that book. Like, but I ate it up back then. That was like, Oh fuck. Yeah, I can do this. Blah, blah, blah. You know? So it's like, I'm not, so I took on everything for games. Ripper. I tried to do like, tried to be like Rodriguez where I did every fucking thing. I shot it, the whole thing, lit the whole thing, cast it, produced it, had to schedule everything, make sure people were fucking fed, make sure I had the props, make sure, you know, all this stuff, dude, like way more stuff than a director needs to be worried about, you know, and uh, and I, I think like, you know, like I've learned so much since then, but that, that, that was so bad, dude. Like writing the script wasn't bad at all. Actually, 
actually, when I started writing the script, I, I did talk to real Hollywood movie producers and I sent them my draft and it was, um, I, don't know, I probably shouldn't say their name, but like, <laughs> like they, they legitimately wanted to like help finance, make movie, or at least like buy the project company. But they sent me the notes back from my script. And like one, one of the first notes is, is, is like he should, uh, it was something about his parents. Cause he Dan, when Danny was raised up, his dad was alcoholic, really abusive, you know, and his mom kind of coddled him or whatever. So that's just the way it was. But so they're like, the notes are like, uh, that's been done too much. Why don't we make it where his mom was abusing him or it was like psycho or something. And it's like, dude, that's not even close to how it happened in real life, guys. You know, and it's just just in, insane. So I decided to just do it myself and did it like fucking Rodriguez did. I fucking just uh, thought this kind of lights kind of look cool. And, you know, I got an exposure, fucking roll, blah, 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 going to move quick. And, you know, I did the best I could. I mean, I, I, it's a decent movie, and I'm pretty, I'm happy, I'm kind of happy with it. But you know, since then, since I've been on like real movie sets and work with real people and every a real DPs and stuff, like I'm, I'm really like anal about lighting stuff and properly and making stuff look like a real movie that I work on and everything. But, but it's different now, dude. It's, it wasn't like that at all back then. I'm like since kind of Facebook came out the past couple of years, that Facebook's brought like so many people here in Jacksonville together, like local filmmakers that it's really easy to find people to, that really love making movies to be on your movie or to help you. Or it's, if you want to, if you're a kid and you want to make movies, it's really easy to find someone making movies and be like, dude, I'll help you out. I'll give you a hand, whatever, move lights, carry stuff, carry out trash, you know, go get lunch or whatever. And then you do that on people's productions and they owe you favors. So you try to get all those favors together and when it's your production, you're like, oh, then you have enough people that know what they're doing and you can, you know, between everybody else, they've got legit equipment and it's pretty easy to work it out. And we, here in Jacksonville, we got really lucky because we got a local filmmaker or a local theater called Sunray and we play movies there. Past three years, we started doing a uh, local short film, like we call it Jack's Short Film Festival and um, our short film showcase. And it's just an hour and a half of Jack's most short films that people are making. We ended up, we were set, we ended up selling out every night, first year, second year, we, second or third year, we ended up doing two shows. So and we've sold out those every time. So Jack's most got so cool. Like we have a theater that'll play whatever, like somebody can just call and be like, give me, you know, what's a good date, you know, and get a date and you will have people show up and you can see your movie being played. It's fucking cool, man. Like, it's really like, best scenario for filmmaking i think but trying to jump to doing something commercial and bigger or you know that's that's a whole other step that's kind of what i'm trying to figure out if i want to do right now i'm trying i've i've wrote a script my next feature and it's like a crime drama feature kind of like the um reference pusher movies or something or like old scorsese movies and kind of crime gangster drug dealing stuff and it's something i have to do on weekends though and i have to do for like fucking five months but it's possible. Like I know the equipment's out there. We know how to make it look like a real movie. I know the talent's out there that'll do it, but it's like, that's a commitment, man. That's like six months of your life just for production. And then, you know, then you got to post it and everything. So I'm really like thinking about taking that step forward and trying to like make something really, really good. And that's, you know, that's just something I didn't even know about when I made games with Ripper, I was doing it the Rob Rodriguez way. You know, or at least in his, the way he said in his book. Yeah. 
Well, you know, and and here in the last few years, you've been doing short films, is that right? Uh, specifically, I wanted to talk about horror. Oh, you've seen horror? Oh, fuck! You did do some. You did do research. Yeah, that's. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah that's like my best. Yeah, horror's kind of where it kind of where everything really flipped around for me. Like a couple years before that, horror was three years ago almost. Like almost exactly three years ago. Um, and because we've, I've always had a couple of local filmmakers like for the pipe since, you know, games were since before games were up for even a couple of years, we worked together and helped each other out, but there was only two or three or four of us. And whenever we played movies in town, there would only be 10 people that show up and they'd be in a bar somewhere or something like it's, but, but so it started to change like about five years ago. And I helped some buddies from local features and they're not high quality enough to be, you know, to get on Netflix or anything like that, but we're doing cool stuff and we're having fun and we don't have, you know, it's, it's art. It's actually like real art because there's not commerce involved. You're not worried about making money. That's kind of my was at the time. It's my favorite thing to do. Or I'd kind of realized that at one point, like it's so much better making movies. If you're not worried about making money, if you can do it and technology's caught up, the cameras have caught up and editing systems caught. So anyway, so I'm helping my buddies make movies and shit like that. And I'm shooting a shot a short. And I've never been in front of the camera before. I was always like a shitty fucking actor and like a really shitty actor. Like there was a joke for 10 years in town. Like the worst actor in town was Josh Townsend. So don't put a movie, you know what I mean? Didn't even try to act. And we did, I, I was in one of my buddy's movies just cause out of necessity, cause I was producing it and we needed a character. And then, you know, I'm, I'm in my starting to get in my forties at this time. So I've been doing it for a while and I get a cute little 25, 23 year old girlfriend start, you know, fall in love with her for a couple months. And she's, she's all, she's like the first girlfriend I've ever had. That's cool about making movies too, which is weird. Like she's a hot little young, cool fucking girl, but she's also really encouraging about making movies. Like I won't come hang out with you unless you get this work done and do this, do this, do this, do this. But it ends up that, um, one day we went to the beach and I had a camera test for our equipment test. We had got this new equipment and stuff for a feature I was producing. My buddy Henry was directing. Um, and I, I think me and her ate like half a Xanax or something. So we fell asleep on the couch and I woke up late. So, and my phone's dead and I have to call the fellows until I'm late for the camera test and coming, you know, and I grab her phone and it's like a text and it's like, you know, you want to ride this rich man's dick, blah, blah, blah. Some dude trying to talk her into coming over to have sex for money. So it's like, she's I found out like the girl I was, you know, my girlfriend was at least in discussions about, you know, fucking dudes for money so she could pay her mortgage or whatever. And so, you know, obviously, you know, I can't, I didn't want to be in a relationship with that kind of girl, but I liked her and everything. And we're talking about it. So it fucked me up really bad anyway. So I had to make a movie about it. And horror is what came out of that. Like it wasn't even a script for it. It was just, it was just a shot list. It was like kind of like the first half of it is everything that happened. That was all true. And then the second half is like almost like the fantasy. Like, what if I could do this? I would do it. And it was uh, like, I was, I, I was insane at the time. So it's cool. It's like I made a short film where I was insane, but I had played myself and I never acted before. And actually I did a good job on it and it worked out good. And since then I've been acting in a bunch of shit. Like something just kind of clicked. 
about it, but um, the the girl in it, Audra, who plays my girlfriend, I just met. I I knew her from shooting ten years back. She's in Gainesville Ripper, and I hadn't seen her in years. And we just kind of hooked up like three or four days earlier. I went to the actual first Jack Stewart Film Fest, which was like almost sold out. And she trusted me, and I was like, dude, I gotta do this short work with my girlfriend. We trust me and show up on set, do it. She did. And we shot it, and I, that's like my favorite thing. That's like the favorite thing I ever did. We shot that one day, and um, we like I knew the shots I wanted and everything. And I just, it just, I just figured out how to. Act. I mean, it's playing myself too, mostly. But it's like I didn't see the camera the whole time, even though I directed. I just showed my friend Henry, you know, the shots I needed, and, and we talked about kind of how to get them, and then I just go into character. But that was like a true story, and I was going to end it too, where I was going to go into a school and you know shoot up, not really actually show me shooting up a school, but like the last shot being walk, me walking up towards the school with like a gun or something. And Henry had just had a kid, and he's like, "Man, we can't do that. We got to do something else." And he's like, "Cops." I was like, oh, shit, that's an even better idea. And there's a cop substation down the road. So we're like, fuck, we'll go steal the shots, you know, and pretend I go blow up the cops instead for being pissed off. So that was, that's how horror came about. And it's since then, and then Audra, the girl, became like my best friend. I mean, I'd known her, but we became so close. And she, she, she's ended up everything I've worked on since then. She's, you know, proofs the scripts, writes the scripts for me, edits and all that. And, and that was just like amazing. So I did some like really cool shorts, like I'm really proud of with her and a lot of work and scripts that even haven't got finished. And I cut two shorts haven't got finished with her, but um, she ended up dying in February. So that fucking, that kind of fucked me up. So this year has been all fucking bad for me up until like past two months or so. Like I kind of snapped out of it and realized like, fuck, I got to do something. So I wrote a feature script and it's the first thing I've written seriously, you know, without on my own, without all or without my creative partner. So it's been, it's been really weird, but, um, this, this kid, Royce, who kind of met us on Facebook, just wants to make feature or whatever, talked into making this feature and he, I, and he's been shooting at my house. So they're here every other weekend or every weekend. And that kind of helped me snap out of it and start making, wanting to make movies again. And that's, that's the horror in a confessional long story <laughs> picture. So are you kind of using movies now as like a um, uh, form of therapy? I, I know that sounds like cliche, but you, you get where I'm going with that. No, I, I, that's, you know, I did, that, that's what I did past couple of years. Like really everything I would, I did, me and me and I did another short called Trace and Lacey about a junkie couple that leaves her kid in the car. And um, that, that's something I'm really proud of. That was, we, we, that was, we knew like a showcase is coming up and it's like, we can make a short and it'll play on the screen and there'll be 180 some people that'll watch it. Let's do something. So we came up with the idea of doing this two junkie kids that um, were deciding they were going to go clean. They have the kid together and they get high and they go inside and they realize that they left their kid out in the car. Cause that summer it was like, it seemed like every other day you were hearing about people leaving their kids in the car and, they're dying in the heat, you know, like they go in the store and so I made a little short about it. And it was kind of like, I wasn't sure like if I could figure it out acting too, like it was just some kind of weird fluke with horror. So we did Trace and Lacey and it was like, okay, I kind of realized the process a little bit, but you know, I'm not like a, I realized also I'm not like a great actor. Like, like 
great, great actor. I'm a good character actor. You know, I can, I can do it good if I can really kind of relate to the character, but I haven't got to where if it's somebody like I'm totally unrelatable to, or that's not like me, I don't, I'm not sure I'll get a job I can do. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I, I get you. It's gotta be something that's, you know, uh, uh, well, you said relatable, I guess that's the best term. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? So yeah, uh, but I'm sense. proud of I'm proud of what I did with uh with uh Byro and uh, American Guinea Pig. That movie's uh Song Solomon. That's going to be a really good movie. Like uh, I play a doctor or something, so it's not it is something a lot different from me, and it did take me a little bit. And and I'm like with people that were all like looked up as kids. It's like the people in Manson family, the Charles Manson, uh, the Sadie from Manson. She's like my partner in the movie and like she is fucking weird man i was like all these people i look up to my whole life i'm making a movie with them and they're all looking at me as a peer you know but they're all like kind of like underground famous at least you know and whenever he's doing press release it's like blah blah from blah 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 and josh townsend <laughs> and it's like okay that's cool though man it's cool it's like oh, that's a dude who did you know the effects on fucking toe tag movies and august underground and shit and Marcus Cotts and blah, blah, and, and Josh Townsend. So I was like, oh, that's cool. But I was nervous as fuck, man. Jim and Beber, I love hanging out with Jim. Jim's fucking cool as shit. He really is, was my hero as a kid. So once I got that done, it's like, damn, I've been in a mood with Jim. Fucking, you know, I'm pretty much done. Every, if I was my 18-year-old kid could look at me now, I'd be geeking out and everything, you know. So I got that out of the way. I hear you, man. Well, I'll tell you what, after doing like a, a true crime movie as your first movie, and then now everybody always wants to t- wants you to talk about true crime on podcasts, do you ever get that itch to do another serial killer movie, or did that one just ruin it for you forever? Yeah, that ruined it for me forever. I, I wouldn't do another serial killer movie. I will, dude, I mean, if I had a legit budget and a legit producer behind me, you know, I'd do it, whatever, you know, but that, yeah, that true, the, you know, and I still all the time watch movies like there's a Unabomber show on Discovery, you know, and yeah. I, I know a lot about the Unabomber case. And it's like, how would I do this? I, th- I think about that and then I see how they're doing it. And it's like, you know, OK, OK, I see how they're playing it from this angle. It's cool. You know, so, I, you know, I think about, I would think about doing something like that, but it's more like I, I, I wouldn't do anything like that without support. You know, like if I'm like what I'm think the feature I'm trying to do now, I'm about to start or whatever. You know, that's all fiction. So those are all characters. Um, so I don't know. It's easier for me to go on my own about that, but it almost feels like I need protection if I'm going to do something a little bit controversial based on a true story thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, you know, but I do anything. I'm not, it didn't, you know, it did, it, it didn't scare me away from it. It just kind of, it gave me a lot of perspective on you know, on how you want to do it. And if you want to, how you want to look at your career, like if you're going to be a director, you know, you're going to be looked at by your first movie, your second movie and blah, blah, blah. So you really need to think about that kind of stuff too, besides like the immediate story you're telling and I don't know, all that shit got, that got too much for me for a while. That's why we just started, just started doing shorts and just making stuff be fun. But now it's kind of got to a point, especially since Audie died, like I'm just, you know, I know I need to either buckle down and try to do something that's going to be at least be able to compete with everything else out there, you know, like a, something that's as good as what everything else is playing in the festival. So, 
you know, or else I don't want to put my name on it. Like, you know, I'll, I'll help people do whatever. I'll act in something if they need me or something. But if I'm going to direct it, if it's directed by Josh Townsend, then I want to at least be able to compete with everything worldwide too. You know, like anything anybody's made in the past year, I'd like my movie to at least be able to compete at that level. And that's a lot of fucking work, dude. And, you know, that would, but it's possible. I don't know. I don't know. Serial killer movies. It's not the the thing about serial killer movies is, is also, it's like, you know how it's going to end. Especially if it's based on a true story and it's hard not to make it into a slasher movie too. And, you know, even if you're telling it true, like I did Danny Rollins, it might come across as being a slasher movie too. So that's, it's a weird little artistic fine line, you know, like, like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer probably did it the best. Um, if I was an yeah, asshole and wasted... to go outside, I was going to say, you yeah. have to almost go outside the real names and go with like uh, an homage to it without actually saying yeah. who it is. You know. Yeah, yeah, you, you really do need to make it kind of artistic. That's that, that's where I, I trapped myself in artistic hole was by trying to make it exactly realistic, like factual realistic, you know, to the thing. And but that traps you in a hole artistically and even story wise telling. You know, you might be altering facts in a story, but it'll work out better as a movie in an hour and a half than you know than just what actually happened to happen during real life and. Those are the cool little creative conversations you have making movies, you know, or decisions you have to think about. But I don't know, you know, but I, if I, I would like, I would love to make, fuck, how many people listen to your podcast? Like, honestly. Well, like, it, depending thou, thou, on a true crime episode, we get hundreds of people listening to the true crime episodes because they're right. the most popular. It, like, we call them the main event of the month because that's what everybody likes the best. So, I mean, well, I'm the, sure you know how that is. Well, I don't see. I don't. I don't know how, how. How if I should say this in public too much? But do what I really like to make. I really like to make an Andres Brevik movie about the Norwegian killer. Like I would love uh-huh. to make a movie about him. That would be the shit to me. But I, I don't see how it'd be possible. You, have you seen Matthew Bright's Bundy movie? I have. Um, the guy I've who directed like every Freeway. Bundy movie out there. <laughs> It's 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 like really irreverent, like kind of like Freeway was uh, the director's other movie with Reese Witherspoon. But it's so fucking whacked out and irreverent that you know it's almost like like I, I had a t- I remember I had a T-shirt. I don't know how I got it, but it was like a production T-shirt, and it looked like a like a it was a black T-shirt, like a heavy metal tour T-shirt. Uh, except on the mm-hmm. back with the tour dates, it had the victims' dates, so their the murders, and like what city it was. So it looked like a, the tour shirt, except it was the murders on the back. That's like how irreverent that production was. And I'd like to, do, I'd like to do some, be able to be like that irreverent mm-hmm. and do something that whacked out, especially with Brevik, with you know, in Norway. I, he wrote the, he wrote the, his manifesto, and he laid it all out. So there's like so much good material there. And he was a smart guy. Our Timothy McVeigh movie. I'd love to do a Timothy McVeigh movie. Nobody's done a McVeigh movie. Why do you think that is? They did a Boston Bombers movie. It's weird. I like, I, I don't know, man. I think, uh, that's, it was such a national story, but then again, like you said, they did a Boston Bombers movie. So I, I don't They've know. They've done nine eleven movie, Paul Greengrass. Yes. You know, they have. They did nine eleven movie. I think I all there's a lot, lot of too. hypocrisy in filmmaking. I think. I think you know that though. Yeah, yeah. I, I think about that. You know, but I, I mean, I'd love to make a McVeigh movie. You know, I, I think. I don't, 
You know, not not like I agree with the ideologies that, that much, but I remember the early 90s, like, especially the, when McVeigh, you know, when all that happened, like when they were thinking about taking, everybody was scared that guns would get taken away, and it was just in the gun shows back then, like we had, I just turned 21, so, you know, I bought my first guns, we were building fucking AR-15s, like, and we, you know, it was all crazy in Gainesville back then, fuck. But, like, these guys that, um... I remember it was in High Springs, which is like a little town just like 20 minutes outside of Gainesville. This dude had a little shop there, a little gun shop. This man was so scared of the government, like in probably 93, early 90s, right around the time of the Oklahoma bombing, that he would, he you could bring him in a gun with a filed off serial number, and he'd straight up buy it, not even care, and he'd go bury it somewhere. Like the man probably had fucking hundreds of guns buried somewhere. He was that fucking terrified of the government, you know, in Waco and... All that happened. I think that'd be a great story. I think that's a movie, good movie that can be made, but it's, it's really weird nobody's made it. I think maybe because Tim McVeigh was American, you know, and his 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 motivations were almost patriotic. They weren't hateful so much. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, it it would be it would be a divisive movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas everybody, I, I don't know. I, I think that. I think people are just too scared to touch it. I mean, but honestly, this is what I worry about for you. You always talk about if you had a, a budget and things like that, production company. They, they, nobody wants to do anything that is dangerous anymore as far as filmmaking goes, unless oh, it's a very low micro budget, you know? I know, man. That's the the political correctness. I, you know, I for a little bit there, I was like really excited. Like probably around the time I made horror, I was thinking, okay, people are talking. You know, we're gonna be able to. And it's like it's it's imploded on itself now. The political correctness is so fucking pervasive on social media and everything that it's gonna be hard to do anything a little bit controversial without just people just being stupid about it, and not thinking. I mean, I thought people would be more open-minded, you know, with the internet and everybody connected and talking and everything. And I was wrong, man. People like, especially, you know, especially this last election and the political cycle and everything. So you can tell people just, they don't even care. They just want to fight. It's like football teams or my football team versus your football team. You know, it doesn't matter. It's just, I hate the political correctness, dude. That scares me so much, you know, especially, especially like the, uh, the 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 racial stuff going on right now, I think is really not like I. Yeah, have you uh, uh, author named Joe Lansdale? Are you familiar with Joe uh -huh. Lansdale? Um, I know the name. You, I don't. It doesn't ring a bell though offhand. Beyond that, um, uh, he wrote. He's. You remember the old splatterpunk authors? The old uh, they bunch of yeah. splatterpunk authors in the late eighties or nineties. He was one of the one of the one of the big ones from Texas. And he did books called The Drive-In. And um, lately, he's um, he's had a TV show on Sundance um, called Happ and Leonard about uh, a gay black guy and a white guy that are best friends, and they kind of go do, do crime stuff, or they like little detectives or whatever. But the books were cool, but they're about race. Like, they're about race relations and about, like, racist people and non-racist people and stuff like that. And there's a couple of his books I want to do, and I tried to. Uh, I, I, well, that was probably ten years ago. I did a short. I was going to give him money to get the rights from my shorts and do it, you know. But just the language and everything—it's just it gets people so much. It's just they can't think right. Like, 
uh, like I, I wrote this. Me and me and Audra wrote this fucking awesome script. But it's, it's like horror, the movie kind of. Like we did a fucking great script. It's about like if this main character, his girlfriend gets uh, killed with an overdose, like an obviously like hot shot overdose. So he goes through the gangs, kind of from the street level dealers up to the top, trying to find out who kills her, and figures out you know it was the cops were involved or whatever. So it was a great script. And I'm showing it to some of the people I know in town or legit producer people that want to talk to me. Or I mean, I don't think I showed them the script. I think I just like told them the story. And I was like, so, you know, he goes to the, the north side of town, the ghetto, and starts to, you know, go to street dealers and gets that guy and then finds out who he's getting it from and goes to the next guy. And they're black. It's a black gang, you know. So mm-hmm. the, the, the two people I show it to, their first fucking thing out of their fucking mouth is need to make the gang more multi-ethnic. And it's like, dude, <laughs> let's t- let's oh, get in the car and drive to the north side, and you tell me how many rainbow gangs you see selling crack on the side of the fucking street. You know, I mean, I mean, we it's not it, maybe it's going to be all Mexican crew or all black crew or something, you know, but you're not going to have like some multi-ethnical fucking, that's just not reality at all. But that was like the first, and that, that bummed me out. So then I was like, all right, I'm not even going to show this script to anybody else. I'm just going to, I'll wait till I have $200,000 of my own money and I'll, I'll shoot it myself. Fuck, man. Like, that's not even a fight. I want to have to fight. Like, I don't even, I don't think that's a fight you can really have, you know, like even Quentin Tarantino does something says fucking nigger in it and hateful aid or whatever a bunch of times and stuff and he has issues you know or this doesn't make any fucking sense man he's not he you know it's like you're it's like the people expect you to make a movie and your movie should be on the reality that they wish it could be the world could be like you know and it's if if you i don't know if you start to tell a story about some guy that's fucking racist and that means you're a racist as an artist suddenly you know you're a white guy so you can't say the right dialogue where this guy says nigger you know a black guy says nigger to another guy which is like so fucking ridiculous dude it's like uh, yeah it's like if you tell a story if you tell a true story and you you make it exactly how the story is, you're the asshole for telling the story the way it was told or way out. I mean, you know it'd I mean? be like it'd be like if somebody made a movie about like Vietnam right now, and the and the main character Justin Bieber, you know, is the main character, and he's saying you gooks, you gooks, you know, and he couldn't say gooks anymore. You know, he couldn't get away with that shit. Now it's like, oh my god. Unless you, I guess, unless you're like Quentin Tarantino or something, someone you have enough clout where you can actually, or even fucking Martin Scorsese, Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street, they say stuff and he's derogatory in that movie a lot and stuff that you just couldn't get away with. with dude. These producers I know, they'd be their first notes to be like, dude, you can't talk bad about throwing dwarves. You can't, you know, I mean, that'd be the first fucking notes. It's like, well, that's kind of what happened. That's how they did that, you know. And that's, yeah, that, you know, that frustrates uh, me, man. They're not going to have World War II movies with Nazis anymore. They'll just go ahead and cut that out completely. Uh, have I like how instead. <laughs> or, yeah, or, or yeah, exactly. Or, or even, or even the Wonder Woman movie where it's World War One, and they try to make the Germans out like they're Nazis, you know, before there was even Nazis ever. Like, you know, they they would just want to make it to where they were bad. It's like that's not kind of really how it happened back then. They they weren't really Nazis back then yet. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can't. I don't know, but that that's kind of why I try. That's why it's easier and less frustrating for me to just make short movies and just have a fucking job or do whatever I do, hustles to make money or whatever, and use that to pay to make what I want to do and not worry about having to get your finances back or worry about having to be popular. Or, I, don't I mean, you, I know, I, I know that's very limiting, like you know, as far as the scope of your movie you can make, but. I don't know. I'm trying to find that middle ground somewhere. Somewhere. Well, I think you're, li- you're limited anyway, unless you've kind of yeah. gotten lucky. I mean, you do have to get lucky, I assume. Yeah, you you, you have to... I don't... You know, I, the, the past couple of years, there's been... There hasn't been that many great, great, great movies. Like, like you know, like a movie like Snowpiercer, I, I love a lot, or like Old Boy, or The Raid, or something like that. You know, there are the Green Room. I love that a lot. And, you know, there has been that many great movies, and so I don't even think it's luck anymore. I think you know, as far as a movie being successful, I think it's just a matter of finding people. You know, being working hard enough to get it done, to like wanting to put your nose to the. To, like to nose to the grindstone and tell that story so bad, you know, that you'll work and put two years of your life in there to tell that story rather than just bending a little bit and making it a little bit more easier for all the big audiences, which is what people do when they fucking, when they cast like a white dude as the main guy in some movie about Egypt or something, you know, and they complain about it or whatever, you know. And so that leads to them casting a token black guy into every movie or whatever. And then you get a movie like, what was the the black horror movie with the get out, uh, get out, you know, get out. Yeah. It's like that movie. That's, that's an all right movie. You know, it's all right. But I, I think people made it out. Like it was way better in a classic just cause you know, the way it handled the subject matter, or even almost in a, damn, I don't, I don't know, man. I yeah. feel like I have to fucking watch what I say, even, you know, like doing it, doing this kind of like talking like little Dude, audiences, you know. On, I, I won't post anything on my own personal social media unless I know damn sure it's not going to offend somebody because I don't feel like arguing with people. It just pisses me off. So I use, you know, our Travis and Vic page, and that's it. Well, I mean, it's almost like affirmative action filmmaking, you know? That's more offensive to me than anything, you know? Fucking mm-hmm. fuck. That makes it worse, you know? That doesn't make the movies better. That doesn't make the story better, you know? Where you feel like you have to put this an Asian guy in here and a woman guy and a woman here and this. And that. It's like that's, you know, it's your story. I don't know. You know, I guess if you're doing like $100 million fucking big ass comic movies and you need to think about that shit, but, you know, for little indies under a million dollars, I don't think I, I don't think that should come into it at all. You know, it should be more realistic or something. Like, I, I have a legit awesome fucking script, but it really is realistic. It's like a dude going to a gang and the gang happens to be all black guys because that's the way reality is here in Jacksonville with most of the gangs, you know, or I could change it. They could be all Mexicans and that would still be reality, but you're not going to have like one dude, black, one dude, Mexican, one dude, Asian, one woman kind of leader in the gang. And then the white dude, you know, it's just not how it is, man. If you were going to go try to find out who's selling drugs, someone you drive to the North, to the North side here in Jacksonville and you're looking for people, you're going to see black dudes on the street, you know, and it's just, that's the way it is fuck but you know i don't want to have that i don't even want to have that fight like like you're saying it's not it's not worth it to me right now i'd rather just yeah just 
work my ass off and spend five months shooting on the weekends and then be able to maybe tell a good story. I don't know. We're not talking about Danny Rollins much. Thank you for that, man. I'm so tired of Danny Rollins. I've been like years and years of Danny Rollins and trying to get in his head and trying to figure him out. And then everybody asks, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it got so old, man. Some of the stuff's well, pretty I cool. Like just... I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I wanted to spend an hour with you just talking about a little bit about the Gainesville Ripper, and then, you know, I'll, I'll cover uh, Danny Rowling on my own, because I, I know you've said whatever needs to be said at this point about him, you know? Yeah, it's just, well, Danny, he's not, he wasn't that smart, so he's not, like, as interesting, too, you know? Like, Ted Bundy was really smart, and he's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, you could you could talk about him working at rape crisis centers about escaping from jail, you know, escaping from the courthouse, you know I mean? He did some crazy shit, you know, and it's, it's weird. Bundy ended up fucking in Lake city, you know, he got caught in Lake city, like 30 minutes North of Gainesville. So I think that's also like people are traumatized in Gainesville from Bundy. Like I remember being a kid and my mom showed me the newspaper at the grocery store where it showed Bundy was dead. You know, he was all shaved because he got like or whatever. So, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Gainesville is really close to where they execute people too. Stark's only 30 minutes where Rayford's the, where they execute everybody in Florida is only like 30 minutes away from Gainesville too. So I guess they are kind of close to where they execute people. I don't know. I think execution's yeah. kind of fucked up. I think that puts us up in a, puts us in a bad group of people, countries to execute people, you know, like I don't, I'm not, it's not a deterrent. Nobody's going to stop killing somebody because they're worried about getting killed 15 years after they get arrested, you know, and I don't know. It doesn't seem to work out, but that's my little personal opinion on it. Well, I'll tell you what, man, you came in, you, uh, you killed it. Uh, and you know, we had, we had fun, man. I thought it was enjoyable talking about filmmaking, like on that level, you know, I've talked to people who are like maybe on a higher level, higher budget type thing, but it's cool to hear somebody talk about what it takes and all the bullshit you kind of have to put up with along the way. And I thought it was interesting. Can you let everybody know where they can uh, kind of keep an eye on you and, and some of the things you're doing? I know you have a YouTube channel and some other stuff going on. Oh man, I'm so bad about that stuff. Um, probably just I don't know. Find me on Facebook. I'm Josh Townsend on Facebook, and or you know the YouTube channel. I don't, I, yeah, I I don't promote myself at all. Like I'm so bad, man. I've got a buddy that like whenever I do a short like that, I actually direct or I need like I have an archivist. I give him shit. Like he's got the actual masters of Gainsley Ripper and like all my shorts that I did 10 years, 15 years ago or whatever. He's a, he's all bootlegger. We used to be all DVD bootleggers. So we'd go to um, the Fangoria conventions and shit and, and all the movies that weren't available in America, especially like the Japanese and Chinese movies, that the Cat 3 movies and stuff in the early 90s that they weren't available here. You know, we'd go sell them and bootleg VHS and stuff. So he kind of still does that a little bit on eBay, and he'll put little extras on his movies, and sometimes he'll put, like, some of my shorts in or something like that. So it's pretty cool. But, you know, I'm so bad about fucking promoting myself. I don't know. I would hope, like... You know, once I do something really good, hopefully this this feature I'm going to start working on, you know, and you'll just hear about it, and there'll be some way to fucking get in touch with me. But I just really just have a personal fucking Facebook, and my YouTube thing's actually kind of weird because I'm not that that the security on it's kind of weird. So I do throw stuff just to show somebody, like if I'm making a movie or I'm doing effects somebody or 
like somebody asked to see something and I did, I'll just throw it up on YouTube and not make the link public, but it's still there, I guess. And you can go and watch it and find it and probably find some weird shit on my YouTube, like on my YouTube account, you know, that's public that just isn't listed that I'm not like, I know games of rippers up there. There's in two parts up there um, somewhere. I really need to make private sometime, but uh, I kind of stopped caring. I figure, like, if I make a really good fucking cool crime feature, then, you know, then that's when people get interested in Games of Ripper. And then, you know, if someone wants to buy it or something or wants to deal with selling it, then we can do that. But I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm different, dude. I'm not like all the normal filmmaker people, dude. Like, I really did, like, five years ago figure out, like, making movies is way cooler if you're not worried about making a living doing it. Like, once you're worried about eating, then that fucks your art up completely dude like if you have to worry about being able to put bread on your table or you have a family to worry about or rent or something like that your art's going to change no matter what since i stopped worrying about that like i've been having a great time just doing cool stuff that i actually really consider art you know so i'm not as much about promoting and stuff but you know just google josh townsend and creep on my facebook and creep on my youtube i guess is the best i can say <laughs> sounds good man well I tell you what let's talk sometime down the line when we're uh away from the gainesville ripper subject how's that sound hey that sounds good yeah i um i i was like i said i you, i just started checking out your website and stuff and in the movies you talk about like i would love to talk about that stuff i'm really knowledgeable about all those movies like especially all the fucking 70s and 80s and 90s horror and exploitation stuff like hey, I, we're I, talking I, about fucking, arranged next week 1974 believe it or not <laughs> you know yeah, I love, that's, yep. yeah this guy's got one of my favorite lines in it. he's like he, he's talking about having sex with a girl or something, a fat girl. He didn't want to have sex with a fat girl. He's like, I'm afraid I'll get stuck in all that fat and not be able to get out. <laughs> that's one of my favorite <laughs> Yeah, dude, Bob, that's Bob Bob Clark movie, one of Tom Savini's first effects movies. That's um, Ezra Cobb. Isn't that his name in it, Ezra Cobb? Yep, that's who it is. Yep, you called it. <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I'm really knowledgeable about that movie, man. That's fucking. I used to want to make Ed Gein. That was the first thing I wanted to do was make an Ed Gein movie back in the day, actually. But there, I don't think there's any way to make a really, especially now. I don't think there's a way to make a. There's just not enough story there. You'd end up being doing just some weird, creepy thing, and they probably did the best with Durant. Durant's is definitely the best Ed Gein movie there is. But yep, you yep. know, I don't. I don't know how you'd make a legit Ed Gein movie without just trying to be creepy and nasty and aftermath the year or something like maybe, I don't know. But yeah, dude, I, I'd love to hear about that, man. I, I, I'm, I like deranged a lot too. There's some really cool stories about the effects and how they made the movie and everything. It's the, the main actor is fucking awesome. He is so good in it. I can't remember his name. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's on tip of my tongue, but um, he's 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 really 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 pulls it at pulls all stops in that movie. He does a perfect fucking crazy guy, but you know, uh, I can go on about Absolutely. that kind of stuff, man. Hell yeah, man! We'll definitely talk about stuff like that down the line. Uh, and thanks again, Josh. I appreciate it, man. You take care, and like I said, we'll talk soon. Okay. Hey, buddy. Sounds good, man. If you ever want to chat about like some of those exploitation or something, just just drop me a line, man. I'll, I'll come on and chat up you. That'd be cool. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right, man. You have a good night. All right, okay. brother. You too, man. Later Thanks. on. Thanks. Later, bro.
And that was the writer and director of the Gainesville Ripper. And so with that said, I think what I'll do now is I'll continue our little narrative about uh, Danny Rowling. And, you know, like I said, he has talked about this ad nauseum. You can actually hear some of the stuff that's out there. Um, and, and, you know, you, like I said, you can you can catch some of that stuff online. Otherwise, uh, we'll go ahead and get back into it here. Okay, so where we left off was, uh, when we were talking about his dad's abuse of him, and that was something that uh, Josh actually brought up. So as a teenager and a young adult, Rowling was actually uh, arrested several times for robberies in Georgia, and uh, he was a peeping Tom. Vic, are you there, buddy? Yes, sir. Do you know where the term peeping Tom comes from? Um, I have no idea, actually. You didn't? Well, I was no. hoping you did so you could tell the story because I don't fucking know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, there's a weird story behind it, okay? So it's actually after the legendary Peeping Tom of Coventry, England, who, okay, so Lady Godiva, somebody kept wanting to see her undressing and kept wanting to see her, and he just wouldn't go away. So it's a different time period, okay? So she says to everybody that she's, you know, or, or he tells us, he tells her that he'll stop looking if she rides through the city naked. So she tells everybody not to look, except for Tom of Coventry, who ends up peeping. So peeping Tom comes from there. And that's what good old Danny Rowling was when he was a kid. He was a he was a peeping Tom, Tom himself. And I would assume he was doing more than just that. Uh, but, but that's how Bundy started, you know? He was kind of a peeping Tom. Well, I don't know if that's how he started, but I know in his, later on he was a peeping Tom, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, as an adult, Danny was, uh, he had trouble trying to get into society. I guess if you get the shit beat out of you by your dad growing up and your mom kind of gets her ass beat too, then there's really not a whole lot of uh, fitting in that you're going to do. So at one point, uh, Danny actually worked as a uh, waiter at Poncho's, or yeah, it's Poncho's restaurant in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um. And then in May 1990, he attempted to kill his dad with a he, – he fucking shot him. His dad actually lost an eye and an ear uh, in the uh, – he, he thought he killed him. Danny thought he killed his dad, which, you know what, if you're Danny, uh, I think you can't really blame the guy for doing what he did. I mean, his like I said, his dad was just an asshole. And I, I'm not one of those people that think that, you know, oh, well, you know, that's what happened. So, of course, he became that way. My thought process is just this. It's like, what did you expect to happen, though, you know? Yeah. He actually has a background, unlike a lot of these people. So, August 1990, Rowling actually murdered five students, one from Santa Fe College and four from the University of Florida during a burglary and robbery spree in Gainesville, which everybody knows. I think most people know, if you watch any of the documentaries out there, um, you'll find that out. But the interesting thing with Rowling is I always confer, I always um, compare him to Bundy because of the fact that he was, you know, doing B and E's, and, you know, breaking and entering. And mostly he was a lady killer like Bundy. He was a rapist and a, and a serial murderer. But that wasn't true 100% of the time because we'll go ahead and start his spree. So in the early – and this was a pretty quick thing, like – I never really understood how quick this was that this went on not that for that not that long of a period of time, you know, Vic. Like it, it wasn't one of these things that went on for years like a Bundy or a Gacy. This was 
uh, really over the span of a few days, if you don't count the Louisiana murders, which we'll get into later. But anyway, so in the early morning hours of August 24th, 1990, Rowling actually broke into the apartment that was shared by 17-year-old university freshman Sonia Larson and Christina Powell. And so he finds Powell asleep on the downstairs couch, and he stands over her briefly doing all creepy things, probably jerking off, smelling her, whatever it is, you know, a fucking creepy dude like that does. I'm sure it was something weird, right? Something like Corey or John would do. Yeah, no doubt about it. Corey's a lawyer. You know, he does the same shit. So, (laughs) he, 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 um, instead of doing anything to her, he actually goes upstairs to the bedroom where he finds Larson, who's also asleep. And Rowling actually murdered Larson there, they think. Uh, first he tapes her mouth shut to stifle her screams, and then he stabs her to death. And he stabbed her multiple times, and she died while trying to fend him off. And then he goes back downstairs, tapes Powell's mouth shut, binds her wrists together behind her back, and then he threatened her with a knife as he cut her clothes off of her. And apparently he didn't just cut his, her clothes off of her. It was vicious. Like he like ripped her bra off and shit. Like things that you don't think about would suck. But you just have to think about how something like that feels. Like if somebody tears your shirt off of you, it doesn't feel good. But, you know, getting stabbed to death sucks worse. And <laughs> I, mean, I would have to assume so. So he rapes her, and he forces her face down onto the floor where he stabs her five times in the back. And this kind of reminds me of Zodiac right here. It, you know, when Zodiac has the couple that's tied up and he stabs the shit out. I mean, he stabs them both, but he really gets the girl worse. Something about that. You know, tying somebody up and then stabbing them in the back. I, I don't know. It reminds me of Zodiac. Maybe he was homaging Zodiac. What do you think? Yes, I would. I mean, Zodiac. And this is the thing that is. And and Josh talked about this. How in you know in Gainesville, the dude was like an urban legend down there, um, a real urban legend. And this is why you know I think this is why Josh is probably just tired of it. You know, talking about it, which I don't blame him uh, because you talk about it all the time on that. And then you go on a bunch of true crime podcasts. But this is where he sets himself apart from a lot of the other serial killers. He actually poses the bodies in sexually provocative positions, and then he left the apartment. So whoever comes in is going to find these two dead chicks that are all, like, fucking humiliated after death. And it's really fucked up to think about. You know what I'm saying? Like, not only did he kill them viciously. It's kind of funny. He, it's kind of- he, you're a sick bastard. He sets them, <laughs> he sets them up like in sexual positions for people to find them, and it's like, yeah. God damn, dude, you could just kill him and leave. He he just had a whole thing to it, you know. Uh, he was a rapist, a murderer, and an artist, I suppose, because that's really what he did here. I mean, that's kind of like an Ed Gein thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, Johnny, wherever you are, if you're listening, it's not Ed Guy, it's Ed Geek. Just saying. Ed Geek. All right, so, so the news of this comes out, I assume, the next day. And the next day, on Saturday, August 25th, 1990, by the way, in a few days, it'll be the anniversary of these crimes. So uh, I guess happy anniversary, uh, wherever you are, Danny Rowling. I assume in hell if there is one, but. Uh, I'm not one to speak on the subject because I really don't you know. I haven't been there. Well, I, was, I, was, I had an ex-wife, 
so I, I did live in hell for a while. So. <laughs> yeah, he's wherever Andrew Hernandez is. Whatever happens to people like that, that's where he is. Well, Rowling breaks into the apartment where 18-year-old Krista Hoyt lives. Um, he pried open a sliding glass door with uh, his K-bar knife, which this is kind of his uh, trademark, okay? Um, <clears throat> you know, Bundy was a ladies' man. He would, he would choke these chicks out while he's raping them. This dude, while he would choke them, he would generally kill them with this K-bar knife. It's like a military-grade knife. Um, and he also used the screwdriver. Um, but she wasn't home, so he waited in the living room for her to come back. And at 11 a.m., and this to me is fucked up, Vic. At 11 a.m., now imagine you coming into the house at 11 a.m. doesn't seem like a time where there would be danger, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I know we're adult men, so we don't think about it that way. But when you come in at night, you at least kind of have the awareness that something could happen because it's nighttime. Fucked up things happen at night, right? Freaks of the night. Freaks of the night. We won't die. Anyway, I was listening to that while I was working out earlier. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, 11 a.m., this chick comes home to her apartment and Rowling surprises her from behind, which it's kind of fucked up to describe it that way because it's not like he showed up with a cake and balloons. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. He he showed up to stab her in more than one way. (laughs) He catches her from behind, and he puts her in a chokehold, Bundy style. And after she'd been subdued, he tapes her mouth shut. I I assume subdued means he probably choked her out. Bound her wrist together, and he led her into the bedroom. And this is where he cuts the clothes off of her body, and he rapes her. And just like in the Powell murder, he actually forces her face down and stabs her in the back, which ruptures her heart and kills her. So, dude, I guess she was pretty thin, though, but these K-bar knives are fucking big, dude. Like, you think the the hunting knife and scream is big? These K-bar knives are fucking massive, you know? It's like a step down from a machete. And I guess what he did the night before just wasn't good enough, so he fucking decapitates the girl's head poses her head on a shelf facing the corpse so it added to the shock value of whoever fucking discovered her. And like I said, this is what puts him down in history. I realized that, you know, Ghostface, the Scream series is based on him and, and that that's a big deal. But I think these things, him fucking with people, is what <coughs> sets him apart. So... By now, as Josh said, the murders had attracted widespread media attention. I mean, there were fucking articles everywhere. And many of the students down there, were th- they were taking extra precautions. Because, you know, you're going to school at Gainesville, and people are just getting fucked up and killed left and right. But it's a female murderer. So you're not too scared if you have a boyfriend living with you, or if you are a man. You know, you're not worried about it. You're only worried if you're, like, a single female by yourself, and you look decent. Because I don't think any of these were, like, fatties. You you know what I'm saying? Like, he obviously had a type, kind of like Bundy supposedly had a type. So everybody's kind of changing their daily routine, sleeping together in groups, which I think is funny. Sounds like they're having orgies. (laughs) Everybody's having orgies so they can avoid Danny Rowling. (laughs) That's fucked up. Anyway, but this killing spree, because that's what it is. I mean, he's a serial murderer, I get that, but this is a killing spree. You know, it's happening early in the fall semester, so some students actually are withdrawing 
from from Florida, and they're transferring to other schools. And I have to be honest with you, if my daughters were going to that school, I might do the same thing or just move down there and kill them myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So now we get 23-year-old Tracy Pauls, who's living with Manny Tabota, also 23, who is her... Dude's like a 200-pound roommate. He played high school football. He was not, as far as I know, on the Florida Gators football team. So um, kind of a, you know, like a high school football player, but not anybody that's huge, but a formidable adversary, we'll say. So on Monday, August 27, 1990, Rowling broke into the apartment by, of course, again, prying open the sliding glass door. Same tools he had used previously. Rowling found Tabota asleep in one of the bedrooms, and uh, after a struggle with the young man, he actually killed him. Now, here, and this is where he breaks his pattern. You know what I'm saying? He's doing the B&E thing, and before he had just been killing females, but now he kills a man, and that breaks it because now everybody who felt safe before don't feel safe. Now, now let's get into what actually happened here. Do you See, in my opinion, Tabota, like I don't think, I don't think Rowling expected to find him. Like, I don't think he knew he was there. I think he came across him and was like, oh, shit, I can either leave or I can kill this dude, and he decided to go with the latter. <laughs> I mean... You know what I'm saying? Um, if I was in that situation, what would I do? I'd probably kill him, too. Yeah, exactly. And, and they'll well, fuck him in that, though. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'm joking. I mean, I guess if you're him, well, yeah. Well, if you're him, though, that's pretty much what he wants to do. I mean, yeah. Like, what what would Carl Pinsram do? Think about it. Yep, that's very true. Well, you're dominant. Hearing the commotion, Pauls went down the hall to uh, Tabota's bedroom and actually saw Rowling, which I think Rowling's wearing a ski mask in, in you know these break-ins, which only makes sense. Uh, Bundy did. Why wouldn't he? He had to homage Bundy. You know, dude wasn't very far away, just like Josh said. You got to you got to do the Bundy thing, except use a knife because that's just kind of cool. So um, she tried to barricade herself in her bedroom, but Rowling broke through the door. Rowling actually taped her mouth and wrists again. So he's all about that buy and torture kill, isn't he? No, he's not BTK, but boy, he's got an mo just like him, doesn't he? Which we have not talked about BTK on this show. And we will. I don't know when, but we will, because next month we're talking about Kentucky bloodbath. But at some point, Dennis Raider, we're going to talk about you. You're going to have to hear about it. Anyway, so he cuts off her clothing. He rapes her. And uh, then he turns her under her belly again, stabs her three times in the back. She's done. And what's he do when she's done, Vic? What's he, what's he do with her body? Fucks her. He actually leaves her in the same position in which she had died. Um, oh, excuse me. I apologize. He actually posed her body, but he left Tabotas in the same position in which he had died. So there's obviously some anger towards women with this whole thing, right? And a lot of people that theorize that it's because his um, his mom didn't protect him enough. I don't know that that's true. He's probably just fucking nuts, you know? Also, I think he's, I think he's a little bit... Uh, um, I think a lot of these guys are, like, bipolar, you know? Not enough yeah, to get you off the death penalty, but he's probably just enough. A, he's just a sexual deviant, like me. 
I think we're all kind of a little bit of a sexual deviant. We just all have our thing. His thing was, you know, murdering women and cutting their heads off and posing them. I mean, we got all got our things. I don't judge. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? We all got it. Who are we to judge this man? <laughs> all he's ever done is kill a few women and pose them in a random dude, you know? I mean, Jesus. All, all this judgment in the world these days. That's not very really Christian. Got, you, really, you really got to think about it. Like, how he, how he ended up posing these broads, they probably wouldn't do it while they were alive for him. So he wanted it to happen, so he, he did what he had to do to make it happen. He, he wanted these poses. So all he wanted to do was draw them like his French women, you know, like the dude Titanic. I'm he wanted to draw them, and they would let him. I'm mad. I'm mad. Do your thing, Kevin. Yep. Well, with the exception of Taboda, the dude, all the victims were petite Caucasian brunettes with brown eyes. And we get into a situation where it's like with Son of Sam, but there, there's not really enough time for these people to start cutting their hair and doing all that crazy shit because, plus, Taboda broke the pattern. So people aren't sure what to do. Um, Law enforcement authorities initially had very few leads. I mean, they didn't know what the fuck was going on. They're getting all sorts of calls. In fact, the phones were so jammed, people couldn't even call their kids down there because, like, the lines were completely jammed up with people that are just freaked, which I can imagine. It's a small town, college town, but not like maybe a party town. Uh, You know, at the time, I don't know if it is now, it probably is. Everybody's probably fucking torn up and getting shot by Eric Hernandez. If he was still alive, that is. <laughs> you know, well, he did. Yeah. Well, like I said, they did identify two suspects. One was a University of Florida student, Edward Humphrey, who is their, like, prime suspect throughout this whole thing, Vic. He is the fucking prime suspect. They thought for sure it was this guy. He had a history of mental illness. And he had numerous scars on his face from a car accident. And so this dude has the ideal image, you know, when the news talk about the investigation. They fucking railroaded this dude. However, let me just say, step back a second about this Ed Humphrey guy. Because a lot of people feel bad for him because he was railroaded. (laughs) You know what he got arrested for in the first place? That they tried to keep him as long as they could to see if he was the Gainesville Ripper? He beat up his grandma. (laughs) He beat up his grandma. Now, I know the guy has mental illness and he wasn't taking his pills or whatever, but you can't just go around beating up Granny. You know what I'm saying? That's not okay. <laughs> you just can't beat up – you can't beat Granny's ass whenever you feel like it. I mean, who does that? <laughs> uh, so, anyway, he was like I, – like I said, he was the police prime suspect, and, and when he got uh, arrested, uh, the police never – I don't think they out, came out and said that he was the killer. But the news kind of took it and ran with it. And so this guy was shown repeatedly by media outlets. And people start feeling safe again. And the interesting thing is, while he's in jail, nobody gets killed. Hmm. So, of course, the cops think he did it. But they can't fucking prove it. They they investigated his house. It was, like, really odd. Like, it was dirty on one side and clean on the other. It, It was strange. And they found knives and screwdrivers. But... None of those were the murder weapon, and they knew this because you can compare the screwdrivers to where they were broken in, and, like, all screwdrivers leave a unique pattern, like a fingerprint, so it wasn't them. So, Vic, stop killing people with screwdrivers and stuff because they're going to find the one that you used, all right? You're going to have to switch it up. Maybe use a flathead. You don't tell me what to do, sir. 
All right, it's just a suggestion then. So, uh, anyway, authorities publicly cleared Humphrey of all charges after Rowling's arrest, but they really never apologized for this shit. Anyway, later in 1990, Rowling was arrested in uh, Ocala, which I'm sure you've been there if you've been to Florida, right? I've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, remember anything about it, but I, I was there. And they arrested him on a burglary, char- burglary charge. He was burgling. You know, he burgles. You ever burgle? He burgled. I burgled. Yeah. And so in the course of that investigation, his tools were actually marked, matched to the marks left at the Gainesville murder scenes. That's what I was talking about. Those screwdrivers leave unique imprints. And the small one man camp where he was living was in a wooded area, which was near the apartment complexes frequented by the students, including those of the victims. I also want to talk about this. Rowling wasn't just a murderer. He was a bank robber, too. And, and he would rob convenience stores and Winn-Dixie's. He loved robbing Winn-Dixie, Vic. He would rob Winn-Dixie all the fucking time. I don't know what his deal was. I, I guess because it's prevalent in the South, but I never heard him robbing Publix. Because I know Publix is fucking... It's more relevant than the South. Yeah. Hey. So it was... So, yeah. hey, uh, time to hold on, calm down. I got, I got breaking news. Okay, breaking news. All right, all right. I'm not gonna pay for it, but it's 165 dollars. But there's a Kane Hodder and uh, Robert Englund photo out at Yeah, I, I saw you just saw it as I was talking about it. 165 bucks, my ass. Fuck that. I've met a boat, or I've met one, and I'll probably meet the other. That's good enough for me. I love the dudes, but no. That's a good that's a good hatchet photo up. Yeah, it sounds like Cardi shit to me. It sounds like it should have been what you know really should have been Freddie versus Jason. Yep. I'm just, I'm just saying. All right, so back at this camp where it was the it was the robberies and stuff that actually led to his arrest. You know, they caught him based on a robbery. And at his camp, the investigators actually discovered recordings Rowling had made of himself singing country songs. And they're all over YouTube if you want to listen to them. And they're fucking weird because they sound so poetic. And they, you wouldn't think that this dude had killed eight people. And he's got audio diaries basically alluding to the crime, saying something along the lines of, well, i got something to do now. I'll be back later. And this was before he went and murdered somebody, uh, supposedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, right. he got charged with several. Yeah, exactly. We don't know if he did it. Fuck. He may not have. It might have been Ed Humphrey for all we know. Speaking <laughs> of, I wondered what happened to Ed Humphrey, and I looked him up, and I found an article about, you know, former uh, former convict uh, graduates, and I'm like, well, that's nice. He graduated college despite all that. Oh, wow. So, anyway. Rowling gets charged with several counts of murder, November 1991. The two men police had earlier identified as suspects. They don't even fucking mention who the other one was, as Ed Humphrey and whoever the fuck the other one was. Because dude was leaving semen everywhere. He was just coming all over the walls, all over the girls, just everywhere. Now, actually, in reality, he would clean up his messes, but he didn't clean it up good enough, so they'd still find semen, you know? Because... It's just a semen factory after you rape somebody. That's why they have rape kits. You, did you just say a semen factory? Yeah. 
Oh, I mean, it's, is that not accurate? I guess that's one way to put it. I would have thought it was more of like a scene in a museum, but it's whatever. It was the goo that made him guilty, you know? His man goo. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what ultimately did him in. Because they were doing, uh, you know, this is early uh, stages of, like, forensic investigation back then, but they were still able to match his DNA there's also a story of <clears throat> when he's standing there with his public defender and they told him that they needed to get 50 of his pubic hairs. And so what's he do? He stands up and he rips out like two huge clumps of pubic hair. He drops his pants, rips out pubic hair and says, that should be about 50. Yeah, that's so amazing. He didn't give a fuck. Which is weird, though, because like he acted like he was all, I don't know, apologetic about it all, but we know that's bullshit. It always is. Including with Son of Sam. Sorry, everybody. I don't buy it. Son of Hope, he is not. So, Rowling was finally brought to trial by Alachua County State Attorney Lynn Register nearly four years after the murders. Rowling claimed his motive was to become a superstar in much the same way as Ted Bundy. God knows if that's true. He also claimed that he killed eight people because he wanted to put the ball in his court. He claimed that he killed eight people um, because he had eight years in jail that he had spent or some shit over robberies and that he wanted to kill one person for each year. And that's bullshit, too. Because, you know, this is just him trying to act like he they didn't bust him. You know, he just wanted to act bigger than the system. So, in 1994, before his trial could get underway, Rowling actually unexpectedly pled guilty to all the charges. Subsequently, State Attorney Rod Smith presented the penalty phase of the prosecution. And, you know, um, they I mean, they knew it was fucking him. They wanted that guilty verdict, or that guilty plea, and they got it from him. He actually made his cellmate um, tell them for him, like... They had to sit in a room, and the cellmate would tell him what they did. They would confirm it, and Danny Rowling would say, that's true. <laughs> like, he wouldn't tell him himself. He was, like, having this big fucking parade about it. It was weird. They were like, man, we never see any shit like this in our life. So Rowling was sentenced to the death penalty because they didn't give a fuck whether he felt bad or not. You kill five people in Florida, three somewhere else, which we'll get to, and that's that's that. You're that's a wrap for you, buddy. Lethal injection. Then he didn't get any kind of uh, you know, uh, he didn't get fried like Bundy. But you know, he didn't get killed till 2006. So during his trial, Court TV conducted an interview with his mother from her home. And during the recording, his father could be heard shouting off camera. Now, if that's not fucking appropriate for what his dad was, I don't know what is. Uh, Rowling was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and paraphilia. Vic, you got any paraphilia in your house? Oh, wait. Sorry. That's sexual perversion. And sexual deviation. Right? He's a deviant, like you said. Sorry, I thought it was something we kept. All right. Well, (laughs) Rowling, after he was arrested, police in Louisiana alerted the authorities in Florida to an unsolved triple murder in Shreveport on November 4th, 1989. So he got started in the 80s. Detectives noted that there were similarities between the Gainesville murders and those of 55-year-old William Grissom, his 24-year-old daughter, Julie, and 8-year-old son, grandson, Sean. Family had been attacked in their home as they were preparing for dinner. 
Afterward, Julie Grissom's body had been mutilated, cleaned, and posed. He loved it. Although Rowling <laughs> never officially confessed to investigators handling the Grissom case, he did write about the murders using information that only the killer would know. So, I don't know why he did this. Like, I don't know what the motive was. I mean, not that there was a good motive for the Gainesville ones, other than he just kind of wanted to get a nut off. You know what I'm saying? And that's not the only way he could yeah. do it. I don't know. So Shreveport police obtained an open arrest warrant in 1994, but Rowling was never extradited to Louisiana because Florida doesn't do that shit. They just let you die there, and they did. So he never stood trial for those killings. <laughs> Rowling was executed by lethal injection at Florida State Prison on October 25, 2006. That poor guy didn't even live to see Halloween. That's fucked up. I did. I'd be upset. U.S. Supreme Court rejected a last-ditch appeal. He was pronounced dead at 6.13 p.m. Rowling sang a gospel hymn, but made no statement immediately prior to his execution, which was witnessed by many of his relatives, or many of the victim's relatives. In a written statement made shortly before his execution, Rowling confessed to the murders of the Grissom family in Shreveport. So, there's a lot of books about it, and there's some art that I've seen out there, murderabilia, you know? So Danny Rowland, he's well-known in, like, the true crime community, but I don't feel like he's that well-known among, like, the general public. If you go ask somebody about the Gainesville Ripper, do you think they know who he is? Nick, did you leave me? Do you you think the general public knows who the Gainesville Ripper is? Um... Probably not. I mean, they maybe they've heard him like in like heard of him in passing or whatever, but I, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, like I don't think anybody knows who Danny Rowling is. It looked like he put on some weight while he was in jail, must because he was getting three hots in a cot, you know. And he was looking and at they camp. Def- they definitely wouldn't know him by his real name. I mean, fuck, man. Like I barely know his real name. <laughs> yep. You, uh, I, I, he sounds very country. He does not look like a guy that would do these type of things. But then again, I wouldn't say that about Bundy either. It's very odd. He he has like a, this is going to sound bad, but he has like a sympathetic face. You know what I mean? You almost feel bad for him, but you, then you think about what he did. And it's like, ah, fuck you. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, trying to think about some other things that, uh, about rolling. I mean... I always found it weird that he would that he posed this shit, but I think he was just fucking with the cops. You know? Yeah, I'm probably. sure he hated the cops. His dad was a cop, you know? Yeah, yeah. They gave him a pretty nice right there. Yeah, he's a weird mix of uh, different serial killers. A little bit of Bundy in there with the, you know, the B&E stuff, and a little bit of BTK, a little bit of Zodiac with the way he's killing them, you know, stabbing them in the back, uh, after, you know, with them tied up. A little bit of uh, Son of Sam because he had a type that he was going for. Uh, I don't know, man. He liked that K-Bar knife, though. Yes, he did. Pretty good knife. I need to get a K-Bar now. I've got a machete. I need a K-Bar. Yeah. I believe I can get it on Amazon. (laughs) You can get anything on Amazon, bro. It was actually... uh, Originally, uh, uh, for troops. And, you know, he was one of these guys that tried to get into the military, too. And I think he was too, I don't think he was smart enough. 
I could be wrong, though. Yeah. I have no idea what his IQ was. I was actually looking for that, and I can't seem to find him on the... Um, I can't seem to find him on the Radford University site, which I found weird. Hmm. You know how they have all the, the serial killer timelines? I can't seem to find him. Okay, okay, never mind. Okay, so here we go, Vic. So the intelligent ones are ranged between 121 and 165 IQs. Yeah. They're the smart ones. And then there's the not-so-smart ones, okay? And Danny Rowling is at 89, the lowest ever is Clarence Victor at 65. So, 89 is pretty stupid. Wow, yeah. That 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 puts him below Richard Chase, Robert Hansen, and Vernon Butts. And then that puts him above, or it puts him right at the same as Henry Lee Lucas. It's over Otis Toll and above Dahmer. Dahmer was a 75. That's pretty stupid. I didn't realize Dahmer was that dumb. You dumbasses. I thought Dahmer <laughs> was smarter than that. You stupid well, fuck. That's why you all died. Uh, where is fucking Ronald Dominique at? Uh, I don't know. I doubt he's even on that site. Okay, so they, they kind of have a section called A Strange Way to Ch- Raise a Child, and Danny Rowling is one of those that's listed because, you know, you know, fucked up childhood. At six months, his father kicked him into a wall. Well, that's a hell of a nice thing to do to your six-month-old. Jesus. Wow. What the fuck? At, at one-year-old, his father beat him when he crawled funny. I kind of alluded to that earlier. At six to eight years old, father beat him twice a week. At 13 years old, father handcuffs him to brother and beats them and leaves them outside. It's a hell of a way to treat your child, you know? Yeah. Good lord. His dad's a fucking major league asshole, wouldn't he? Apparently. He's not like a dick. Jesus. Uh, and, okay, so then there's there's lust killers, okay? There's a list of lust killers. So organized lust killers are Ted Bundy. Right? Would you agree? Oh, yeah. John Ga- John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. Okay, now this is two I don't know much about, so we'll just throw them out. Chris Wilder, Kenneth Bianchi, and then Ed Kemper. He was organized, I'd say. Then there's the mm-hmm. disorganized killers. and These are less killers, but they're disorganized. There's Arthur Shawcross, Richard Chase, which we'll get into someday with Kevin M. Sullivan deeply, Jeffrey Dahmer, I could say he was disorganized in his own way. I mean, he did have people in his freezer. That's probably not the way to go. And then Danny mm-hmm. Rowling. Yeah. But hold on, hold on. Back, back, back to the trainable a bit. Did you call me a trainable? <laughs> what? No. If you if you got bodies, you gotta have them in the freezer or they'll ruin. <laughs> you funny. <laughs> I know I'm not, Sean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like well, you got to keep them frozen. Yeah. I get it. I'm just saying. Well, anyway, that was uh, that was our, our whole thing on, on the Gainesville Ripper, Danny Rowling. Well, actually, one of my favorite serial killers, Nick, just because of the fact that that's some weird shit to do. That's all I'm saying. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know, posing bodies and shit. What kind of a weirdo does that? This fella? I'm wandering outside. I, I just so I just, just, just pitched in the driveway while you were talking. Well, you know what I'm about to do? Pitch in the bushes. Yep, that's what you got to do. Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, okay, so Danny Rowling, he kills eight people. He's definitely not the most prolific of serial killers because he was stupid. But, I mean, what he did was fucking memorable, I think. Well, I mean, Ed Gein wasn't fucking prolific, but look at him. You know? Yeah. Sometimes you don't have to kill a ton to be remembered. You don't, man. I mean, sometimes it's what you do, not how often you do it. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Ridgeway killed more than him, but nobody gives a shit about Ridgeway. I told you that. Ridgeway stacked up bodies. He stacked up bodies, but he looks like Ned Flanders. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He can't look like Ned Flanders. That's a good fucking point. You can't look like Ned, Ned Flanders and get the juice. You know what I mean? Hey, Vic, uh, R.A. Millhoff's going to be there. Oh, uh, I just saw that. Yep. So, uh, what were you talking about him for? You need him on your hatchet poster or something? Hatchet 2? Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty easy with that. Because he got his ass beat. Anyway, um, he put up a pretty good fight. But anyway, no, um... I think we should tell everybody what we did last night. We had a we had a nice little experience last night. It was cool shit with Brucey. Oh yeah, Brucey! I take back every bad thing I ever said about Brucey. I'm doing it here on a public forum for everybody. I apologize, Mr. Brucey. The last night, our good buddy or Travis's cousin actually found out that uh, Bruce Campbell was uh, coming to town for a book signing. So, no, it's it's only $45 compared to at least $80 or $100 you're going to pay at a convention to meet him and have him sign or whatever. So, we did it. And I tell you what, man, it was fucking amazing. Like, Bruce Campbell is one funny motherfucker, you agree? Dude, he was hilarious, especially when he was whoring stupid people. Yes, dude. He fucking, he was a jackass to all the other jackasses, and his game show was fucking fun. Like, I didn't answer any of the questions, but I didn't try, because I was just so, like, astonished by everything. Like, it was it was amazing, man. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, dude, and we spent $45 to do it? I mean, that's impressive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because, honestly, I I thought we would go there, get the free book. Yeah, plus we got the book for free, which I, I don't know how much it costs, but I'm assuming it's probably like at least 10 or $15 for the book itself. I mean, if you look on the cover uh, of the book, it's $28. Oh, well, see, there you go then. So, like, I I thought we would go there and get the book. Like, he would sign our shit and we'd be done. I didn't realize that it was... I because mean, I knew it said last time she was about it. Yeah, it was really cool because 
like it was a trivia thing. It was kind of like Jeopardy type of deal, and he was he was he was the host, and he was basically asking questions like from horror movies, sci-fi, nerd nerd culture. Let's just be honest, sci-fi, yeah. oh. fantasy, horror movies, comics, and uh, I found out I pretty much suck at sci-fi and fantasy, and I'm awesome at horror <laughs> and comics. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much the way that went. I got a little bit of sci-fi and I got a little bit of fantasy, but not a lot. You know. And I, I, I kept on. You, you kept what? I kept my clicker. Yeah, you did. You, you stole your clicker, so you went ahead and became a a criminal. I mean, became <laughs> one. I mean, you already were one. Let's be honest. I mean, if you want to look at it like that, yeah. Yeah, Brucey was awesome, though. He signed my uh, Joel Robinson print. If you don't know who Joel Robinson is, it's time to get your shit together. Um, he he signed my Joel Robinson print, and uh, he put Stay Groovy on it, which was cool because he, he they said that he wasn't going to put anything on their message. You know, he wasn't going to put any messages on anything. So that was neat, you know? Yeah, no doubt. He, he drew on my, my chainsaw. He drew a little bit, so... It was cool, man. I know everybody's heard me talk about my past experiences with trying to meet Brucey, and you know, uh, I went out with this for it, and it was three hundred dollars and a six-hour line, yada yada yada. But man, this is worth it, dude. Like somebody else needs to come to a book signing now. I don't know who, but I mean, yeah, I've been anybody. keeping an eye out for him, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to went to a Stephen King one last year, but he wasn't signing, so I probably would kick him. But it's whatever. Cloud Barking special, yes. Special props to uh, Carmichael's bookstore too. Uh, I gotta say, they were really cool because they're the ones that basically sponsored this whole thing. And so mm-hmm. I went on their web, or I went on their Facebook page, and uh, at the end of October, we're gonna go try to see this dude who wrote Louisville Ghost Stories. So. Oh. I'm kind of excited about that, too. Why the hell not? Oh, and let's don't forget to talk about admitted to masturbate to Bruce Campbell. There was a blue-haired girl that flat-out told Bruce Campbell during the show that she masturbates to him. In front of her husband, in yeah. fact. Yeah, and Brucey yeah. said, And Brucey said, so you masturbate to me or you'll masturbate for me? <laughs> Which was fucking great. Yeah, I mean it was fucking awesome, man. He hoard people for going uh, going crazy over the eclipse because he said, "Did it change your life?" No, it didn't. Oh my so god, fucking. the fucking fucking eclipse! Jesus Christ! Bruce Campbell was on our side. That's good. Yeah, the the eclipse is what was grinding our gears yesterday. Look, I have no problem with the eclipse. I mean, it was cool and all. I mean, in its own way. But if you're driving hours out of your way to see this thing. I just don't get it. You live a different life than me, I suppose. But I guess people think I'm weird for spending $45 to meet Bruce Campbell. So I guess we all have our things. We do, we do, we do. But I, I can take mine with me and they, they can't. Like, they, That's a good point. Forever, you know? yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know if anything sure. else is grinding my gears. I'm amazed. Nothing's got in my gears, man. I'm tired. I am tired. I don't know if that's got in my gears. I'm just tired. 
I'm always fucking tired. No, you got to be tired, you. asshole. I did just eat at uh, Hometown Pizza, so that was good. You got what? I just ate at Hometown Pizza, so that was good. Well, that's fucking cool. Yeah. Hey, they, they, I looked on the menu, sir, and it said, now serving gluten-free crust. Shut up, for real? I swear, yep. Yeah, I'll, I'll go there. Fuck it. Yeah, I'd, love yeah. to, uh, oh, I'd love to eat that. I love Hometown Pizza. Hell yeah. So, yeah. By the way, I want to throw out another thank you to Josh. Uh, I think he might be listening still. But anyway, he was uh, he was awesome. He was, he was fun. And uh, if you guys, it's tough to do, I know, because it was so, like, micro-budget. But if you can get a hold of the movie, I suggest it. Because uh, it was like a slasher that was a serial killer movie. You know what I mean? And you don't get that too often because most people are too scared to do anything like that. Yeah, I need I need to see it myself. I need to see it myself. Yeah. So anyway, um, what else do we got? Uh, next week we're talking about Deranged from 1974. Let me see if I can find it real quick, Nick. Make sure it's still on YouTube before I talk out of my ass. Deranged full movie. Uh, 1974. Yep, Deranged Confessions of a Necrophile. 1974. I believe it's still on there. So, that'll be fun. Good, we, good, 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 good. We get to revisit our buddy, Ed Gein. There's actually a making of Deranged online, too, so. Pretty exciting. My buddy. I like Ed Your Gein. buddy? Mm-hmm. He's not my buddy? Nope, nope, nope. I and the awesome thing him. is, the South Bend Shoveler is the one that plays Ed Gein in this movie, or, or whatever the fuck <laughs> they call him. He's Ed Gein either way. That's awesome. I like that fella. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, man. Well, so next month, our uh, serial killer special or main event of the month is going to be Kentucky Bloodbath. We're going to talk about that on... I'll go ahead and throw out a date for you guys. September 26th. Beyond that, I don't know what we're doing in September yet, Vic. I know it's all no October's idea. coming. Let me yeah, see if yeah, I even... Yeah, over. It's all over. Yeah. What? Saltober? Yes, thank you. That's what I was trying to say. Let's call it Saltober. Now, we have Kentucky Bloodbath, 926, but I don't have anything else in September, so I guess we'll figure it out from there. Not really sure where to go with it, uh, but we'll figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. You already know. We'll come up with something good. We got to come up with some one-hitters before the fucking... uh, Because we just went through a whole series, and I'm tired from the series. They wear you (laughs) out, man. Yeah, we we need to do some uh, one-offs. That that one movie I told you about that uh, Nathan Thomas Milliner was bragging about on uh, Netflix. We need to watch The Devil's Candy, I think. Devil's Candy. All right, I'm writing it down. Devil's Candy. I think that's I think that's what it was called. Something he, like that. He said it's he like the best horror movie seen in like years. That's fucking wild. All right, good deal. Yeah. So yeah. let's end this thing early tonight instead of uh, dicking around like we usually do because I'm gonna go to bed. I know you're fucking tired too. So uh, quickly, let me, read, let me read our plugs. 
Uh, Vic's on Twitter at Vic Von Eric. Usually he's tweeting titty pictures, so you're going to want to follow him. Uh, we're on Spreaker, as you can probably tell. We're on iHeartRadio. You just look up Travis and Vic's Drunken Horror Adventures. Our email is tnvhorror at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at Trav and Vic Horror. My Twitter is at PhenomenalTLD. Our Facebook is facebook.com slash Travis in with the in Vic Horror. And then you can follow or you can find all our past episodes like Josh did. TravinVicHorror.wordpress.com. Love this shit. I think it's fun. And uh, I'm looking forward to coming back next week with Deranged from 1974. It's it's kind of a celebration of Texas Chainsaw Massacre slash Ed Gein. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. All right, man. Well, we'll talk next week. I hope you have a good night, buddy. Get some sleep. And until then, later on, everybody. Later, bro. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.